You're listening to the PKJ and Yahweh podcast, where I take the supernatural world around us, connect it to complicated biblical theology, and then try and make it simple for everyone to gain revelation. If you're new to this podcast and would like more information, please go follow me on Instagram at kevin.scott.johnson. And now time for another episode from our apologetic series. Uh, no, but I did want to answer this question. Um, that, that was an interesting concept, whether it was asked in jest or if it was actually a, a genuine question, which I, I think is a fair one to ask. If you were to jump off of heaven, do you go to hell? <laughs> you know, and so, you know, like, you know, if you, if you Wakanda forever off of heaven's ledge there, would you go straight to, to hell? Um, well, I think, I think this question just needs a little illumination to the concept of the separation between heaven and hell and what heaven really is. And so to help understand this, I, I think wanted to bring a little clarity to what does, another question, which was, what does heaven look like? What does heaven look like? What does it talk about? What, what is heaven? Well, when you read in the Word of God, you, you see the throne room of heaven, and, and it actually starts talking all about how there's like a sea of glass, and like, it's beautiful. Would you guys like, have you guys ever read it? No? 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 You haven't? Who's read it? Mm, raise your hand. Okay, let's, let's take a quick look. We're going to open up our Bibles, I believe, to Revelation throne room. I'm pulling it up right now on my... Um, there you go, Revelation 4. You guys ready? Revelation chapter 4. It's great. Last book of the Bible. So this is, this is a sneak peek to the throne room of heaven, okay? Throne room of heaven. After these things I looked, and behold, the door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat on the throne was like jasper and sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and, uh, and on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which were, which are the seven spirits of God. What's the seven spirits of God? That's another question another time. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, and the third cre living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty! who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and worship him 
who lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. You see, I believe that, that heaven is something that is so incomparable to the natural mind. We, we, we try to say, we try to think of it as, as, as both a physical location, but like a spiritual location. Like, like if I were to like run like the flash fast enough, I might punch through the, 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 the realms and see into, this, into the spiritual world. Well, like that's not exactly how it works. But what I want to encourage you with is that when you look at the context of the Bible, it talks about streets of gold. It talks about there, there, there's a you know gate made of a pearl, like like a single pearl, like that makes a huge gate. I mean, like this place is the dwelling place of Yahweh. It is the dwelling place of eternal spiritual beings and God. It says heaven is His throne and the earth is His footstool. Think about that. What do you guys put your feet on at home, like when you're sitting down? Some of you, the dirty carpet, right? You know, like, some of you, like, you know, you, you got that ottoman that's, you know, that you put your feet on. Like, it ain't the nicest thing in your house. It may, may look nice, but think about it. Like, it's not your house. It's an ottoman, <laughs> right? Sometimes you put your feet on your dog, you know, but uh, if they're big enough. I do that on my dog, you probably, like, break his rib or something. But anyway, but with that said, when you look at this concept, it says heaven is his throne, and the earth is his footstool. Just, just think how beautiful the most amazing pieces of this planet have to offer. That's where he just sets his feet. So when you think of heaven, yes, it is far more amazing than you can ever imagine. Is there a place you could jump off and go to hell like in the cartoons where all of a sudden a portal opens up underneath you and you like, whoops, jump a step there? No, you're, once you are in heaven... You are eternally secure. You are not going to all of a sudden choose to offend God and, and get yeeted out because, you know, you made a blasphemous joke in your, in your ignorance. Melissa? What about that one parable of Lazarus, and he's in hell, and he's all like, hey, tell my brothers, come with you. Yeah. No, there is that, and he's like, no, I'm not going to tell your brothers because... He's like, yeah, that's not going to work because you had your whole life to figure it out. Like, so I'm not going to go back and tell your brothers. Kind of a cool story, but yeah, there was a connection, and that was that was actually prior to um, it was speaking Old Testament prior to uh, Christ having died, and so it, he he was speaking to Abraham's bosom and the abyss that is Sheol, the underworld. Yes. Something along that line. But it was still, the, it, the, the, I, I don't have the details in front of me right now. Daryl probably got, got on the back of his mind, but it's good. I got too many things going at once. So, with that said, how amazing is heaven? I'd like to ask you a quick question. When you get to heaven, will you, will you walk on solid ground? <laughs> what, what do you think, David? <laughs> Yeah, you if fly? I could fly, I would have been walking. If you can walk. If heaven is the abode or the home of Yahweh, who God is spirit in nature, and so are his angels, when you're in heaven, will you have your heavenly body at that time, or will you be 
embodied in the spirit in a way that you can't comprehend. There's there's scripture that says, you know, to be absent within the, within the body is to be present with God, but and we will get a new body, but just fun things to think about. You know what? It's never a bad idea to dwell on heaven. Lucy. Absolutely. I think I believe that, you know, when when you see uh, the scriptures say if your right hand causes you to sin, chop it off and throw it into you know, chop it off. It's better to throw your hand, right, into into hell, basically, than, than for your whole body to be condemned because of it. Now, does that mean you get to heaven and now you're, not, you're missing your hand forever? No, it says that there will be no more weeping, no more mourning, no more sickness, no more pain, no more death in heaven, but we will be glorified. I believe in my understanding of Scripture that Christ uh, is the only person in heaven that will be bearing the scars that he endured on earth because he wears them as a trophy for you and me as a memorial of what he accomplished. I believe that we will be made new, transformed, and completely healed. Yes? Do you think that if Christ was wet, like his, his wounds, they, you know, because if they're there, do you think they're scars, or do you think they're like open? I would think, I would think that they're scars. Do you think they're like wounds? Yes, I do. Like, I Just like, I would think like in the same capacity, like someone who takes a gaze out of their ear. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. You know what I mean? Oh! I mean, it probably doesn't smell like ear cheese. Next question. Okay. So, um, thank you. This is a good one. I really want to address this really quick. Uh, what happens if you fall into this guy? What happens if you fall into something like this? Easter bunnies. Um, what happens if you fall into addiction? What happens if you've seen something you should not have seen? What happens if you... Uh, the question boiled down to says, what should I do if I fall into porn, drugs, or violence? That was, that was one of the questions on the list. And there's a couple more similarly to it. And so the number one attack that the enemy will bring you in any of those areas is don't tell anybody. Because you're not going to do it again. You know it wasn't good. You know it was wrong. You know it wasn't the right thing to do. You know... You shouldn't have tried your parents' vodka when they were young, even though it was a sip. You know you, you shouldn't have gone to that website. You know you shouldn't have watched that TikTok for that long. Let's be honest. There we go. Thank you. You know <laughs> you, know you shouldn't have seen that thing you shouldn't see. And so you're never going to do that again. So, so you don't need to tell anybody. That, that is... That is the voice of Satan, I'm going to tell you right now. And what you decide to do with that upon day one will determine how day, how day two pans out. My battery died. And what you do with that on day one will determine how your next couple days start to pan out. Honestly. Because the enemy will say, hey, don't tell anybody. It's all good. No problem. Not whatsoever. But the reality is the first thing you need to do is go to somebody. And when I say you need to go to somebody, that doesn't mean you go to your friend that's a little bit younger than you that you already know has a problem, right? Whatever that problem is. Again, the, the context was drugs, violence, porn. I beat somebody up. I kind of like it. What do I do? You know, you got to say, okay, i got to go to somebody. Not someone that's going to just 
accept it, because that's the lie of the enemy, is, oh, you know, I just need someone to accept me for what I did wrong and not reject me. Well, actually, the truth of God will bring correction, but it brings it in love. You see, we get afraid thinking something bad's going to happen to us. We're going to get grounded. Guess what? I looked at dumb stuff as a kid. I did. Internet was a new thing when I, when I, when I was around, right? Newer. And, and it was the most embarrassing conversation I ever had in my life when I went up to my bedroom to go play on my computer to play, you know, uh, this, this really fun, like, online shooting game. Like, it was new at the time. It was fun called Tribes and stuff. And I go up there, and I'm like, I'm pumped. I got done with my schoolwork ready for the day. And all of a sudden, I look on my screen, and there's a lady that I was looking at the other day. And I know I, I closed all those tabs and windows. And realized that my dad, who was just sitting on the couch as I came in from school and, and the Homeschool Resource Center, he had uh, must have discovered history and how to search history because that was a new adventure too. How to erase history, you know, cover your steps, Snapchat. And so with that, I was like, I guess I need to have a conversation. So I had to close the tab, went back downstairs and talked with my dad. And that conversation was far more painful than it needed to be if I was willing to say, I'm not perfect. I made a mistake today, and I'm not perfect, and I need to tell somebody. Because I am not strong enough, and I'm not perfect, to just say I'm never going to screw up again. So step number one, what do I do if I fall into porn, drugs, violence, etc.? Reject the lie that you need to keep it a secret and go to someone that, you, that loves you and that's a leader in your life that can accept you and tell you the truth and help you find deliverance. Because if you don't, you will progressively go deeper and deeper into that hole. And there's freedom. There is. There is. Never be discouraged. Doesn't matter if you've been there for, you know, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years. You can find deliverance. You can find freedom. But you'll have a way better life getting that now than waiting for it to come when you're 55. There's nothing in your life that will come along that will transform it except for the Word of God and the love of Christ. So, uh, if you have fallen into that, as soon as possible, talk to a leader. Talk to a pastor. I guarantee you, young people, there's nothing you can tell me Nothing you can tell me that will, one, shock me, or two, make me not love you. Trust me. No one's going to top the stories that I've had, and I still love those people. So, the Word of God says, confess your transgressions to one another. You ready for that Bible verse? Ready? All right. Everybody got their notes? Got, where, where's your notes? On my hand. Okay, write it there. There we go, James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins, and other, other translations, it refers to specifically as transgressions. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. All right? All right.
hop to something a little bit easier, then I'll let Daryl uh, hop on the next one. And I want to encourage you. We didn't get to all 56 questions, plus there was about two dozen other that came in over, over the month uh, as we were gearing up for this that we'll get to. We're going to release them in like one by one bits onto our social media, like Instagram and stuff and whatnot, so you can have them, to grab them, to download them, and to share them, and have access to them at all times. So it'll just be like question, answer in 15, 30 seconds. That's like literally you'll have the answer within 30 seconds for each question. So it might be blunt, but it'll be powerful, okay? All right, last one from me. Let's see here. Man, I'm trying to remember which one I wanted to do. How do we find purpose? Look at your neighbor. Ask him. How do I find purpose? How do I find purpose? Thank you for that. Oh. How do I find purpose? Purpose? That, that's really important. Because without purpose, what's your purpose? Really? Like, simply put, without purpose, what is your purpose? Like, oh, I don't have a purpose. Well, so it's important to find purpose, but some people get a little concerned. You're like, man, well, if you, would, if you dive in the Word of God and you pray and you, you trust God, like, like, He'll reveal to you your purpose. And some people who go to church for a long time are like, yeah, I've been coming to church. I've been trusting God, and I still don't know my, my purpose. And, and part of finding your purpose is closing off the influence of the world to you. Is by closing off the influence of the world's voice. The word of God says, do not be lovers of the world. Don't, don't, love, don't love the world and don't keep on loving the world, but pursue God. I'm going to pull up that Bible verse for you guys right now um, so you have it as well. Uh, Anybody know it off the top of the head? It's First John 2.15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the lo uh, love. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Wow, crazy! How many of y'all here from Pastor Andre days? Raise your hand. Let me see you. Come on, write that down. Father means. Ooh, thank you. Oh, that felt good. Father means. There we go. Father means. There we go. We're getting it. Father means source. And if God is our source of purpose and identity, if God is our source of life and hope and happiness, our source of love, our source of everything that we are called to do on this planet, if we are more in love with the world and the things of this earth, man, 1 John right here tells me, if anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. Well, how can we get our purpose if the love of the Father, who is our source, isn't in us. You see, if we can shift our perspective of, man, I really, you know, someday would like to have a Lamborghini and a Bugatti, and I'd like to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Like, sure, me too. Like, I want all those things. But if those things become your motivating factor, guess what? Some of you will reach those goals, and then once you buy them, you'll be bored. How many of you have saved up to buy something, and as, almost as soon as you got it, you were like, all right, what am I saving up to buy now? Because I'm done. I'm done with that. Melissa, my dog. Whoops. Oh, woof. Anyway. Whoops. Whoops. Uh, but no, for real. Like, let's be completely honest. As soon as 
you obtain that thing that the earth had for you, guess what? Oftentimes it's empty. Unless it is for the purpose of God in your life. I believe some people might have a Ferrari ministry they're called to. Come on. Who wants a Bugatti ministry? Nobody? A Bugatti ministry. How, how, how do you know people that drive around them nice cars just have people come up and talk to them and want to know them? Hey, you better be prepared to be a good evangelist for the Lord. He's going to bring people all over the place for you. I got a friend in man prayer. He's a great, faithful prayer warrior here at Sunrise. And he's actually had prophesied over him by reputable prophets in our house. And, and among uh, outside, he says, man, you're going to have a hot tub ministry. Anybody know what a hot tub ministry is? No. I know what a hot tub time machine is, but not hot tub ministry. Okay, so hot tub ministry. What is that? Whenever he goes on vacation with his wife, okay, they, they, he love, they love to go to places where it's warmer, but they can also enjoy a hot tub. His wife has some, some uh, physical challenges, and so where it's warmer and nicer and sitting in saunas is really healing for her and really helpful for her. And so they try to go on vacation off they can, but everywhere that he goes, he loves to sit in the hot tub, and he loves to talk to people, and he's led people to Jesus like on the regular in the hot tub. The presence, he's prayed for people and see them healed in a hot tub in some hotel. And he had a guy years ago, even prosper. he didn't know he did this. He said, man, this is the weirdest thing I've ever said to you or anybody. You're going to have a hot tub ministry. And he was like, oh, come on. So the, if, if part of your dreams and goals and desires that might look like big house, the Bugatti, hot tubs, like, I don't know, they, they could, as long as they're rooted in for the purposes and will of God, you can be a dancer, you can be, you can be a soccer player, you can be a musician, you can be a developer, you can be a game programmer, you can be a singer, you can be a writer, a poet, an a author, you can, be, you can be whatever the Lord leads you to be in righteous living and he'll help, you, he'll help you do it for his glory. So, man, how do I find my purpose? You find the Father's heart. Your purpose is hidden in there. I'm going to have Melissa come up and do one. And as she mentioned last week, she might be able to do. Um, and we'll see how she does on the fly. And then Daryl will wrap up and we'll get to small groups. Melissa, you got a couple red ones here. I think this would be a really fun one. Do you think you can try that? Yeah. Okay, cool beans. Just that one, probably, right? Yeah. Um, somebody asked how to address adults. Don't act like you didn't ask that question. Well, first, you take your envelope, and then you find out where they live. And then, okay, never mind. Sorry. Um, dad jokes. Uh, how to address adults. Well, I'll say this. Being in customer service allows you to deal with literally every kind of person and to do it with a smile. So I guess how to address adults, the short answer would be work at Chick-fil-A. My pleasure. Oh, yeah, you didn't think you were getting specific instructions. Turn 15, work at Chick-fil-A. Actually, I think you have to be 16. But anyway, no, in all seriousness, how to address adults, I think it's when you're a young person, as many of you are, and you know the, the adults that are in this room, you're probably fairly comfortable with if this isn't your first.
first or second, third time. If it is, maybe you're like, who are these random people who are trying to talk to me? I might have come up and talked to you and you didn't even realize I was an adult, so good job. You talked to me just fine, so. <laughs> it's not a joke. It's not a joke. Well, I'm like, wait, I thought you were in high school. No, I'm, I'm an adult, but that's okay. Uh, that's why I decided, I decided like maybe in the future I'm gonna start parting my hair on the side so that people know I'm a millennial. Yeah, 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 just like get it out of the way. Yeah. And wear only skinny jeans and skinny jeans what's the other thing that people do? Oh, and use the cry laughing emoji. Okay, how to address adults though? Oftentimes, adults in equal part that aren't in this room don't fully know how to address teenagers. And so there is Unfortunately, in society, there is this appearance of a generational gap, and it actually makes me personally really angry. Not at you for being young, but at, old, at older people for not being able to address younger people. And they, I think there just has to be the reality of like, this is just a person, and I'm just a person, and maybe we don't necessarily speak the exact same language, but we do, but, we, but there is a level of like, you just choose, and this is how you should act in a lot of, in most situations, is even if you feel slightly uncomfortable, you just push through it and you just be normal. That's what, that would have to be, that would honestly be like my answer, but on, and work in customer service. Because after you work in customer service, you can deal with literally anyone, anyone. And it keeps you humble. So that's my, that's my on the fly answer. Daryl. Woo woo. Yeah, yeah, woo woo, woo woo. Do you want to trade? Yep. Go, Daryl, go. All right. So, the question is um, the question is how do you deal with peer pressure? That's something that everybody has to deal with. You'll deal with that from the time you're young to the time you're old. I mean, there's not one phase of life where you won't have to deal with peer pressure in some way, shape, or form. So um, <clears throat> this is not something just for right now in your life, but learn this, learn this lesson. I'm going I'm to give you some practical uh, teaching from the Word, first of all. I want to define what peer pressure is in biblical terms. Peer pressure is nothing but group intimidation to conform to the way that everybody else thinks or else. Okay? And, in, and uh, the Bible calls that the fear of man. So, so peer pressure is a form of the fear of man. And it tells us that the fear of man is a trap. It'll trap you. It'll trap you, and it won't allow you to be true to who you are. You won't even be able to be yourself. You won't even be able to be a real Christian. You won't be able to represent the truth. Uh, you won't be able to speak out. You'll basically be like a zombie saying what everybody else says in order to make everybody else happy. Now, um, the fear of man has many different aspects to it. It could be fear that somebody is literally going to kill you. It could be fear that they won't accept you. It could be fear that you're not going to get something that you want from somebody. It could be fear 
uh, that somebody's going to embarrass you. Uh, so it, it, it may look different at different points in time. But in any uh, case, the fear of man is a trap. And the Bible tells us that uh, fear is actually a spirit. In 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So you need to understand that when there is a, uh, a sense that you need to conform to what everybody else thinks, or else, and you can fill in the blank, there's a spirit that is at work there, and you need to realize that you're in the middle of a spiritual battle, and fear is um, giving opportunity to the enemy to really enhance what it is that you're going through. If you ever feel like just this cowering thing come upon you, you need to understand you're in a warfare, and there is a spirit of fear at work. Um, and so the Bible gives us uh, the antidote to that. As a matter of fact, there are two very powerful forces that the Bible talks about that will overcome fear. One is the love of God, and one is the fear of God. And um, maybe uh, some other time we'll address the love of God in that aspect, but you probably hear a whole lot more about the love of God than the fear of God, so I'm going to focus on the fear of God today. I'm going to just get, kind of share a story about the love of God first, then we'll transition into just continuing on with the, the fear of the Lord. But as far as the love of God casting out all fear, the Bible says perfect love casts out fear. Um, I saw an, a great example of this when I was a kid. So one morning, me, my mom was driving. We were we were just we were young, and my my uh, mom drove us to go pick up one of our friends uh, to take him to school. And my brother got out of the car to go get him, and their crazy dog came out. Dynamite was his name. And that dog had already bit me once. <laughs> so this crazy big German Shepherd came out. And was just she, he was just about to start biting on my brother, and um, and I remember just thinking, oh man, bro's dead meat, right? <laughs> I, I just remember sitting there in the car going, oh man, right? And um, and I saw my mom, and just for like a split second, she just like hesitated, and then she just got out of the car and just rushed that crazy dog, and threw that dog into a fit of confusion. And, uh, and my brother ended up being okay. He, he had like a little bit of skin bit off his butt, and that was it. So, <laughs> and he got out of there okay. <laughs> um, but that's love, overcoming fear. When you love, when per perfect love will cast out fear. But the Bible also teaches us that perfect fear casts out fear. The fear of the Lord will cast out the fear of man. And I'll tell you one more quick story, and then we'll get into the teaching. Uh, my favorite evangelist was telling a story of, about when he was on a plane, and he's on this plane, he's there like 30,000 feet in the air, and, um, and he is having some fear that he's not going to have enough finances for his ministry because he was going through a real financial battle at the time. And so he says, God, please deliver me from the fear of not having enough finances. Uh, as soon as he prayed that prayer, he heard over the intercom, ladies and gentlemen, we have just lost our right engine. He said, immediately, the fear of finance is left. <laughs> okay. So, he said, God, get me on the ground, and I can believe you for the money. Right? So, the lesson is, the greater fear drives out the lesser fear. 
The fear of God will drive out the fear of man. Amen? Okay. They were okay. It's not okay. Because he told the story. So they, they, they didn't crash. Yeah. Okay, we're going to go to um, two portions of Scripture. The first one is going to be Luke 12, uh, verses 1 through 7. Uh, and it says, In the meantime, uh, there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people. So we're talking a lot of people. They could label, they could number the, the group of 5,000, remember, with the fish and all that. Uh, but they couldn't even number this. Insomuch that they trode upon one another, he began saying to his disciples first. So he's got like the hugest crowd. You can't even number this crowd. This crowd is coming to hear Jesus speak. This crowd wants to pile in so close that they're trampling on one another. And how many of you know that as a preacher, with a crowd like that coming to hear you, how many of you think that you would feel some pressure to tell them something that they would want to hear? But as we're about to see, Jesus not only does he not tell them something they want to hear, he doesn't even address them at all for a little while. He completely ignores them. He is so, uh, so free from the fear of man that there is an innumerable multitude of people that come to hear him speak that have an expectation to hear him speak, and he completely ignores them. Okay? And it says, and he began to say to his disciples, first of all, ignores the crowd, says, hey guys, I got something to tell you first. And it says, um, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So, uh, leaven is like a, a piece of sourdough that you put into the piece of the new dough, and it spreads throughout the entire dough. So the message Jesus is conveying is that hypocrisy spreads, hypocrisy is contagious, hypocrisy will spread like wildfire. What is hypocrisy? It's when you're fake. It's when you're phony. It's, in the Bible, it literally referred to somebody that's an actor or somebody that puts on a mask. So what it's saying is, is that hypocrisy will turn you, or that the, the fear of man will turn you into a hypocrite. This is what we're going to look at here in just a second, because this is what Jesus uh, gets into. So he says, for there, uh, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be made known. So whatever you're hiding, it's going to come out. Uh, you, you know, don't think that you can get away with being a fake, because that fakeness is going to be exposed. Uh, therefore, whatever you have spoken in the darkness shall be heard in the light, and whatever you have heard and spoken in the ear in the inner closet shall be proclaimed on the housetops. And I say to you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. Who is that? That's man. He's saying, don't have the fear of man. Listen, verse 5, but I will forewarn you whom you should fear. Fear him, which after he has killed has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Wow. So he's saying the fear of God is the antidote to the fear of man. You're, he's saying, you're afraid of these guys? What, what they think of you? Do uh, you want them to think that you're really something special? Or you're afraid they're going to reject you? Or you're afraid they're even going to kill you? Big deal. There's somebody else that can kill you, and not only that, you'll experience eternal torment forever and ever and ever after that. Yeah. And that's God. Yeah. 
So the greater fear drives out the lesser fear. Amen. Amen. So let me say this too. The fear of the Lord has much to do with reverence, with respect. Um, it, it does not only have to do with not wanting to have negative consequences, but you can't look at this text and say that that has nothing to do with it. Okay? One of the incentives of the fear of the Lord, part of the mix, is that there are consequences for not fearing the Lord. There are, there are consequences for disrespecting and disobeying and rebelling against God and His righteousness. And that is justice, by the way. That God, He's also a God of mercy and of grace, and He gives us the ability to repent. Amen? Okay, so, um, and now here, here's a really cool part, where after Jesus says, says this, He says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And and not one of them is forgotten before God, but even the very hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Another portion of the scripture says, not one sparrow falls to the ground without him uh, knowing or allowing it. So the, the, um, the wisdom here and the encouragement is, is if you walk in the fear of the Lord, like if you respect God more than you respect people, if you care what God thinks about you more than you care about what people think about you. If you want to please God more than you want to please man, that's all a different way of saying you're walking in the fear of the Lord. And guess what's going to happen? That person will not be able to have anybody do anything to them outside of the will of God. So he's saying, if you fear God, it's not a guarantee that you won't suffer or be persecuted, but it is saying that if you walk in the fear of the Lord, the only things that can happen to you are the things that are within God's divine plan, and there are great rewards attached, and there are plenty of good reasons why God is allowing it to happen, which you will probably only know afterwards. But the Bible says that the spirit of glory will rest upon you if you're persecuted for his name's sake and there is an eternal reward attached to it. If you don't obey God, if you're a hypocrite, if you don't fear God, you care more about what people think than what God thinks, you know what's going to happen? All kinds of bad stuff might happen to you that's outside of the will of God. So you want to walk in the protection of the Lord and you want to, you want to secure uh, the protection of the Lord and the blessing on your life and also an eternal blessing. The fear of the Lord will cast out the fear of man. And then um, the other portion of scripture that I want to look at real quick is um, in Galatians chapter 2. And it goes right hand in hand with this. Um, just a second here, I want to pull that up. Okay, so... <clears throat> Galatians 2, starting at verse 11, it says, uh, When Peter was come to Antioch, this is Paul speaking, by the way, when Peter came to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, so James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, a Jewish Christian that had a lot of Jewish cultural ideas, and they really thought very lowly uh, of the... Gentiles in ways that weren't even uh, biblical uh, according to uh, the New Covenant. 
because there, there was still a lot of transformation that needed to take place in their, in their minds at that time. So they basically, these people are the people that came, people that Peter was associated with as somebody that used to walk according to the same type of thinking, okay? So it says, so that before uh, certain men came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, so he was being a hypocrite, wasn't he? So he's hanging out with the Gentiles. Hey, guy, what's up, man? Hey, yeah. And they're all, they're all cool with each other. And all of a sudden, oh, dude, these guys from James are coming. So he just, all he does is just back up. He doesn't even say a word. All he does is just separate himself a little bit. But he's now he's acting like a hypocrite. He was all friendly with them. Now he's not friendly with them. Hypocrisy. And what does it say the reason is? It says, um... It says, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. Those are the people from James. So once again, back to the words of Jesus, he says, the, he says hypocrisy is contagious, and he, and he taught that, that the fear of man will turn somebody into a hypocrite. We see it happening with Peter right here. And it says, and the other Jews disassembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. So, uh, the hypocrisy spread like wildfire. Without one word, there was something hypocritical taking place that, was, that would literally destroy the unity that God wanted to bring in the church. And so Peter had to, or Paul had to publicly address this because the sin was a public sin against the church. It was against the body of Christ. He says, but when I saw that they walked not up, uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter... Before them all, if you being a Jew live in the matter of the Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel the Gentile Gentiles to live as Jews? So um, I'm sure there's a I'm sure there's a lot of uh, things that you're you go through. Um, let's just hear a couple of things. What are some of the things that as a Christian, um, you know, you're at school or whatever. And there's a peer pressure to think a certain way, to, to, to subscribe to a certain belief system, to get along with the program of the way the rest of us think. And it might make you feel like you want to cower under that or not say anything about it or just go full on into it, pretend that you believe the way they do. What are some of those things? Swearing. Swearing. Okay, good. So you're going to be like, the fear is, I'll be an oddball, right? I'm going to stand out. If they're swearing and I don't swear, okay? And, and then even to the next step, should you confront them on it, <laughs> right? Okay? Dirty jokes. Dirty jokes. That's another good one. Going party. Okay. Yeah. You're, you're just not with it. You're not cool. What's Music. 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 Yeah. Okay. What is it? Oh, okay, yeah. All right, that's a lot of good ones, and I'm sure there's a lot more. Um, and when you grow up, uh, you know, you might work for a company that doesn't believe in certain political things and forces you to submit to wearing a certain shirt or something like that. That shirt may represent something that's contrary to your belief system as a Christian, but you will you rep that shirt? Or will you be afraid? I might get fired. People might look at me funny. I'm going to stand out. But when you walk in the fear of the Lord, you're like, you know, I don't care what you think. 
Because my God is my provider. And I live to please him. And he is not going to have any trouble providing for me if I make you unhappy for standing up for righteousness. Yeah. So um, I think I'll end it with that. Um, you know, Paul, Paul told the church of, the, uh, of Corinth, he's, they were judging him. And he's like, you know what, with all of your half-cock judgments and all that stuff, I could care less what you guys think of me. He's like, I don't even judge myself, is what he said. I will stand before the judge God on that day, and he will judge me. Amen? All right, so we're going to split into uh, two prayer groups. Oh, those are yours, not yeah. mine. I was retraining this time. I, you took mine last time. That's funny. Okay. All right. Um, we're going to split a couple of moments just to, for some end time prayer and just like uh, close up. Maybe you want to discuss a little bit more for a few more minutes. But I wanted to encourage you uh, with that whole topic of peer pressure. It's huge, huge, huge. Especially when you get into work, you guys. Like, how many of y'all know I was a school bus driver for a quick minute? Yeah. And uh, that was fun. And I just want to encourage you, answering the call of the Lord in opposition to the, the pressure you feel of the world that they put on you is so much more important. I'll, sh I'll end with this, and we'll split into groups. There was this young lady that got on my bus, and I felt like the Lord told me, uh, she came on my bus every week, every day, and I felt like the Lord told me to tell her one day that God loves you, don't harm yourself. And I'm like, I'm driving a public school bus. Like, there's cameras everywhere. I could lose my job for saying that kind of stuff. Like, this kid, uh, could you report me? All this kind of stuff. And I had, and I had fear. And then, uh, and I didn't do it. I thought about it the whole way too. Dropped her off. I didn't say it. And then I uh, you know, dropped her off school. Then when I picked her up from school, I was like, I should tell her. And then when she got off, I, I didn't do it. And the next day, I go to pick her up from school. And, and as she's getting off the bus, she's pulling down her, as she pulls down her sleeves as I pick her up from her stop. And she has fresh brand new cut marks all up and down her forearms that, that happened the night before. They were not there the, the day before. And so I, I, was, I felt cut to the heart that I was afraid of man and it, and it prevented me from being loved to somebody who desperately needed it in that moment. So don't allow the fear of man to dictate your life. Yeah, Daryl. I just wanted to add one real quick thing because I think I touched on it, but I, I need to make it clear. Yeah. So, um, so when you're talking about a biblical, healthy fear of God, a healthy fear of God has to be combined with uh, a revelation of the great love that he has for you and of his faithfulness, of his mercy, and, and, um, and that you really implicitly trust him as good and somebody that has good intentions for you. And if you take that element out of it, then it's not a biblical fear of God. It's more of like a religious twisted fear of the Lord. So yeah. I just wanted to say that. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's, let's pray and we'll split into groups real fast. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. I ask that you seal these truths and these encouragements upon our heart, Lord God, uh, uh, that something jumped out to us somewhere. We bless you in the mighty name of Yeshua, Jesus. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like more information about the show, Kevin's work, or you have questions or would like to be a guest on this podcast, please reach out to me directly on my Instagram at kevin.scott.johnson. I look forward to hearing from you. God bless.